We're in a series called The Kingdom, and we're in week number three. And uh, I, I hope that the last um, couple weeks have been encouraging uh, to you. If you, um, if you in any way have just been interested in this topic on what is the kingdom of God, I see some awesome middle school students leaving. I guess you should leave if you're in middle school. Go for it. Um, and uh, we, we are, like, I feel like if you're new to Jesus, this is a great Sunday to be a part of, of church. Like, thank you for being here because you, we're, we're going to, to dive deeper into unpacking uh, the meaning of the kingdom of God. Um, some of you, if you've picked up a Bible and you just started reading Jesus's life and you notice, like, the kingdom is everywhere, like, everywhere. You're like, and the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. And, um, and without, I feel like it's only been in the last 10 years in my life where I've really been able to grapple with the kingdom and trying to get my mind around what Jesus was offering the world when he announced the coming of the kingdom of God. So two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being crowned king at the cross and being vindicated uh, as he rose from the dead. And then last week, we just asked that simple question, what is the kingdom? And we'll say more about that in a second. But today, what I want us to see is that the king has given us a way to live, a path to follow. The king hasn't left us without a good road to follow, a way to live our life. And I hope that you will be just drawn into this beautiful gift that he offers you. Um, oftentimes, like weird stories will happen to some of us who are preachers or teachers. And so we will use these stories as teaching analogies for many years. So I've already shared this one, like, I think five years ago with you. I'm going to share it again because you got to use these stories, right? I'm not living like a very adventurous life every day. So you have to like recycle some of these stories. Um, but anyway, I, I have a good friend, uh, uh, my friend Darren, who's a, a Canadian uh, Mennonite guy who married a girl from Northern Ireland. And uh, in 2012, we got a chance to travel, Tony and I, to his wedding. And he still lives there today. Actually, this summer, I'm going to get a chance to fly over there one more time and, and visit him after 10 years. Um, and so, uh, so he's in Northern Ireland, but it's a little bit cheaper tickets to fly to Dublin. So we flew to Dublin and um, really excited to maybe spend a couple days in Dublin with Tanya. And uh, so we went to the car rental place and uh, we rented the car and already it was going to be a gong show because you're learning to drive on the other side of the road. And, uh, but the car rental guy was like, hey, do you want a GPS? It's, you have to pay extra for it. And we're like, well, we're not sure. Um, do we need a GPS? He said, and he, he looked at where our hotel was. He's like, Honestly, that's 25 minutes away. Um, it's downtown Dublin, so you'll, you'll, you'll make it. And actually, um, make it adventurous. You know, have an adventure. Go without the GPS. Right? I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. Yeah, let's, let's have an adventure, Tanya. And, um, and so we, we went, we hopped in our car on our little adventure. And um, this doesn't sound dramatic, but what was a 25-minute drive ended up being over two hours. And I want to just tell you a little bit about what happened because, you see, um, Dublin, uh, the city planners of the city of Dublin <laughs> uh, did not plan that correctly. It's not like a grid. Like, um, you know, Robbie Ray from our church is from Lubbock, Texas. Man, Lubbock, Texas is a grid. Like, it's like alphabetical, like alphabetical and numerical. So, like, you know exactly where you are. It is like literally like a big tic-tac-toe uh, city. That is not Dublin. Dublin is nothing but twists, turns, one-way streets, cobblestone alleys, streets with two lanes that they say is a... They say it's two lane. It's a one lane. Like, don't believe it, right? It is a one lane road and random dead ends, right? This is, this is the reality of, of the city of Dublin. So I just want to give you some examples. So like one time we were driving, we went down a cobblestone road where there was a market. 
So we're like rumbling on this cobblestone road and we're noticing we're the only car and people are walking around with baguettes, you know? And um, that's France. Anyway, they were walking with like bread and vegetables and we were the only car and I'm like, I don't think we're supposed to be on this road. And so I took a right-hand panic turn and so I turned and we ended up in a dead-end road, but it was one of those optical illusions. It was like, it was like, it was a dead end. So I saw a wall in front of me, but the walls got closer, like together to the point where I kept going. I don't know why I kept going, but I got to the end and the walls had come close to the car. And I'm like, how does, who builds this scenario? So then all I could do is reverse. So I reversed and there were these two Dublin police officers and they were nice. Um, and one guy was like, oh, I went to a wedding in British Columbia and had a great time. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm lost. Help me. They, they couldn't actually help me. They're like, oh, I'm not sure where that is, the hotel. And uh, so we drove up and down this main thoroughfare that was apparently only for taxis and, uh, and, and city buses, but no private vehicles, but, but we were on that multiple times. And then taking many wrong turns, uh, we ended up stuck in the middle of, we, we were stuck in the middle of Dublin's uh, annual pride parade. So that was festive. Uh, that was fun. And then we jumped, I remember jumping out of the car, asking a guy at a pizza shop, like, help. He wasn't able to help me. Anyway, we were lost. Um, Tanya was actually pregnant uh, with Lucy at the time, and I felt like Joseph in the Christmas story. <laughs> Although I, I, just so you know, beware, I'll probably use that at Christmas again uh, for, for another illustration. Anyway, but so, I mean, when I was preparing for this message, I, I thought, like, okay, like, <laughs> You know, certain things sound adventurous, right? Like, don't go, you know, leave the GPS behind. Go on an adventure, right? There's, there's, it, it seems like there's a lot of freedom to that, right? But I think some of us will know in our own life story that there's, there's not freedom, right? There's actually a lot of dead ends and, uh, and, and a lot of feeling of lostness. And we're encouraged today to kind of forge our own path. Like, so you'll hear this often. You're an individual... Um, you have the right to make your life what you want it to be. And, you know, there's a, there's a bit of that, which is really cool and true and, and wonderful, but there's a, there's a kind of sizable part of that that is quite dangerous. Um, I've never lived a life before, have you? <laughs> you know, it, what am I doing? Where am I going? I need help. I need a way. I need a path. I need someone who has gone before me to show me how to live this life. And you might be here today in search of a path, like you're new to Jesus, and you're like, I'm looking for a path. I feel in my life, I've hit dead ends, I'm lost, I, I've, I've run into some real brokenness, and you're looking for a way to live your life. I'm really glad you're here, I, and, and I hope that you will find something incredibly appealing that draws you into the kingdom of God. It's a way to live. Um, and if you're feeling like life is just not working, I, I want to encourage you, you're actually in a really good place. Because it's in those moments in life when, we are act when we're ready to receive. You know what I mean? Like when we think we're just awesome and doing well in life, we're, we're probably not learning. <laughs> but when we're in that place of like what, what Jesus calls being poor in spirit, we're in that place of poverty of spirit. We're going, we need a path. We need someone to help us. And we're ready to receive. That's a great place to be. I know it probably doesn't feel great, but you're in a good place because there's hope. I want to say a quick word also to those of you who have been Christians for many years, some of you 50, 60 years, decades, and somewhere along the way, somebody told you that what it meant to be a Christian was to pray this prayer, and you would be given this ticket, one-way ticket to heaven, get out of jail card, you know, fire insurance, whatever you want to call it. And, and then what do I do with the rest of my life? Well, you just come, and you are part of this church, and you sit there, 
uh, week after week, uh, 52 weeks a year, and you just do that until you die. And for some of you, you're like, I, I don't, I have not experienced transformation in that process. I've been, I've been experienced a heart set free, real freedom. You know what? Isn't there more to the Christian life? Isn't there more to following Jesus? And absolutely there is. And maybe you're here going, I feel just as addicted, just as stuck, just as lost um, as I have my whole life. And I, I am in great need of, a, of, of someone who can show me how to live. And uh, good news, Jesus offers you the kingdom of God. So for any of us who are in that place, I want us to hear the good news. Mark 1, Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so Jesus, we're here. We're ready. We're ready to listen. We're coming poor in spirit. We've, we've reached enough dead ends in our own life that we're ready to hear it. And so would you show us your path, your way, and we are, we are ready to learn. We thank you. We love you. You are so good. Amen. So last week, when we talked about what is the kingdom of God, the answer that you know that I, I love is from uh, the biblical uh, uh, scholar Tim Mackey. Um, uh, and he says this, quote, the kingdom of God is how God is taking back his world. How God is taking back his world. Last week, you know, we used the image of kintsugi. And it's the Japanese way of repairing broken pottery. So the pot breaks and it's in pieces. But then this golden glue is uh, kind of glues these pots back, to get back together. And they, they are repaired in a really unique, beautiful way. And I think it's like a, a, an image of what Jesus wants to do in you, just to put you back together. Um, he's, he's part of taking back his world, and part of taking back his world is to heal you and me and kintsugi, right, to put us back together. And that's what life looks like in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a space and place where God is king and where he's healing the world, and that includes you and me. Now, Dallas Willard says um, that everyone has a kingdom. Everyone has a kingdom. And he said this. He said, your kingdom is, quote, the range of your effective will. It's the range of your effective will. What does that mean? In other words, your personal kingdom, Matthew's personal kingdom, is where what Matthew wants to have happen, happens. I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out there, I'm going to buy that donut, and I'm going to eat it. Boom, my kingdom at work, right? I'm in charge, I get the donut, I purchase the donut, and I am free to eat donut, right? That is the that is my kingdom, and, and you have one too, right? It's the range of your effective will, where your will is being done in your life. And we're all kings and queens of our kingdoms and queendoms, right? And we're all reigning in that way. John Ortberg, pastor in California, says, quote, my kingdom is where things go the way I want them to go, right? And so you operate in your little kingdom, and your little kingdom attaches to somebody else's, and then they, there's some big kingdoms in the world, and there's some little tiny kingdoms, but it's all the spaces and places where your will is being done. It's the range of your effective will, and we are happy to govern our lives. Thank you very much, right? And yet, in the story of Scripture, in the third chapter of the Bible, we read how that goes wrong. The first human beings are offered this temptation to do life on their own, to be their own kings and queens. They want to define good and evil. That's what that story is about. They're not happy to receive from the creator, the king, 
what is good and what is evil. No, they're going to define it on their own. They want the right to do that. And so they want to become almost godlike in that way. And it leads to brokenness. That's what, the, that's what the story of Scripture is. You see this pattern of brokenness, um, a sin that just is not good for the, for the human race. We are, we are, when we choose our own way, it ends up, we end up broken. We are simply not good at being the kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. And so today, the king, Jesus, is going gonna, is gonna to invite you to do something that is quite difficult. It's to come under his reign and rule. It's to come under his dominion. We, we don't like the sound of that, right? Because we're free, we're individuals. Uh, and we don't like the sound of that. But, but Jesus is promising is that as we do, as we come under his reign and dominion and rule, that actually we are freed up to be humans that are fully alive, fully enjoying the life of God, the eternal, unending life of God. That we will be living in a way that works with how we were created to live. It's not always easy to hear what Jesus has to say about life in the kingdom. And we're about to go through it right now. This is not going to be easy for some of us to hear some of this stuff. It's not easy for me to hear it. But I'm trusting that if I, I could lead my own little kingdom, and it will lead to brokenness and pain and death, or I could come under his reign and rule. And that's what we want to do today. And um, I really think that this is how God is putting the world back together. One person at a time. Kintsugi. Brokenness being put back together. Healed in his kingdom. And this is going to be fun. We're going to have fun as we dive into this for the next few, few minutes. Um, I think the way of Jesus is fun because it is meant to be discovered. It's meant to be tried out. It's meant to be tested. It's meant to be enjoyed. And it will lead to freedom and joy. Okay. Are, are we all in this together? Is, are we doing good? Are we awake? That's the big thing. Are we awake? We're alive. Okay, good. You got your coffee. We're ready to go. If you could open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be Matthew 5, 6, 7. We're going to fly through this. It is going to feel like a quick whirlwind tour of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon that has ever been preached in the history of the planet. And uh, Jesus, this is his this is his sermon. It's three chapters. By the way, if you're brand new to Jesus, I would encourage you to spend time in the Sermon on the Mount. It is mind-blowing, and I hope you'll get a taste of it right here, right now. But, but what I'm arguing today is that when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's Jesus describing life in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is a very popular rabbi at this moment. He's a popular teacher um, and famous spreading around the land. They're hearing that he's healing people. He's setting people free from demons. He's teaching interesting things. And so thousands of people are gathered around him. Picture the scene. He's outside up on a hill and thousands of people are with him in Galilee. And he begins to teach them. Matthew 5, 1 to 2. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And uh, oh, it's just unreal. It's the parallels with Moses going up on Mount Sinai, coming down with the teachings of God. Here Jesus is, this new Moses, up on a mountain, giving the teaching of God to the people. It's just mind-blowing, but we don't have time for that. Let's keep going. Jesus is going to describe what life looks like in the kingdom. And as we fly through it, ask yourself the question, would I want to have a life that looks like that? Or ask yourself the question, what would life... What would life look like if a whole bunch of us lived this way together? That's a really important question, because it's not just about us. It's about the community. It's about how we're living this together. 
Um, by the way, I think you will be drawn to this. I think this is like super practical and uh, it'll change how I live today, now, this week. Here we go. Chapter five, starting in verse 21. Unfortunately, we just skipped like the best part of the Sermon on the Mount, but we got we to gotta dive into Verse 21, here we go. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Here's the deal. The way of Jesus the King is a way where the anger of our heart is healed. It's not great to simply say, in my life, I never murdered anyone, right? I did pretty well, never murdered anyone, right? It's, it's, it, that's not a heart healed, right? It, it goes deeper than that. Jesus wants to bring deep healing to the anger and the bitterness and the hatred of my heart. Every murder starts with the seed of hatred in my own heart. And so what does Jesus want to do? He wants to, as you come under his reign, dominion, rule, authority, he wants to set your heart free from the seeds, even though they're tiny right now, the seeds of hatred and anger. And maybe you're here today and you have this issue, the bitterness, the hatred, the anger towards someone. And Jesus is like, I want to catch you right there. I want to heal you right on the spot. And the life in the kingdom of God is is doing business with even the seed of hatred in our heart. And, and, and I don't have time to get into this next section, but he then describes what reconciliation looks like. And he says, listen, you could be in the temple in Jerusalem offering uh, this sacrifice on the altar. And that's expensive, by the way. Um, and if you're from Galilee, it would have taken you three days to get to the temple and you're offering it there and you hear or realize or it comes to mind that someone back in your hometown uh, is there, you're at odds and you need to be reconciled with a brother or sister. You know what Jesus says? He says, leave the offering there on the altar and go home and be reconciled. And, and, and many of us like say, well, no, like the most important thing is worship in the temple. And I feel like Jesus is like, uh-uh. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart means to love your neighbor as yourself. You leave that there go home and be reconciled, right? Can you see how practical that is? You might be in that place right now. I'm not gonna put you on the spot, but you might need to just get up. And you're like, I'm going to the bathroom. And I'm like, yeah, but if you get up right now, you gotta go get reconciled with your neighbor. It's really practical. Reconciliation matters. And then Jesus, the king, says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Notice that the way of the king is a way where the lust of our heart is healed. It's not simply, it's not good enough to say, you know, in my life, I committed no adultery. You know, well, okay. <laughs> but it's deeper than that, right? Like, what, what, about the, what about the freedom from the lust of the heart? which of course is where all adultery begins. It's the seed of lust. Are you experiencing freedom there? 
a freedom, like just a fresh wind of the Spirit coming and setting you free. That's what, it li- life, that's what life looks like. And we've, we've grown accustomed today, and I've actually had conversations with people who, who deal with, like, man, it is so normal. Pornography is so normal. Lust of the heart is so normal. It's a part of every TV show we watch, part of every movie we watch. It's, just, it's so normal, right? And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's just kind of part of everyday life. And Jesus is like, no, it's not. <laughs> It's just not like that, that you may think it is. That's called the way of the kingdoms of, of this world. But it's really not. Kingdom people walk around with hearts set free. And there's a joy there. There's a freedom there. And then Jesus says, it's been said, uh, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. Okay, whoa. Now, anytime we bring up divorce, it's a massive topic. I don't think there's a person in this room that has not in some way been affected by divorce, either in your your own personal life, in your marriage, or in the life of someone you love. Maybe it's your parents. Um, Maybe your kids are going through it right now. I don't know. And so there's a lot of pain here, right, when we think about divorce. But I I just really want you to see the brilliance of Jesus. This is actually a beautiful, beautiful moment. And by the way, I just love our our divorce care ministry here at the church. I just think it's awesome. And they're doing such a great job just caring for each other, walking with each other um, through a season of divorce. Um, And I just really want to notice Jesus' words to men here. This is very specific. Notice something interesting. This is all about how they treat their wives. Why do I know that? Well, notice in the passage... Jesus talks about a certificate of divorce. Did you catch that? And anyone who divorces his wife. What's Jesus doing? And almost like in the sermon, he's pausing and he's going, all right, guys, where's the men? Where are the men? <laughs> you know? And, and he's saying, listen, let me give you some background to this passage. In Jesus' day, there was a rabbi named Hillel. And the Hillelites, those who followed Rabbi Hillel, believed that it was, it was permissible to write a certificate of divorce to your wife for any and every reason. That little phrase is really important. For any and every reason. Your wife burnt your toast. She has more wrinkles than she did on your wedding day. Whatever, right? And think about how horrible that is, right? For women, right? That men would be like, I am righteous because I wrote a certificate of divorce. And Jesus is like, you're not righteous. (laughs) You're You're not righteous at all, right? You need to Stay with your wife, to love her, to care for her. This is a word to husbands. What is Jesus doing? He is raising the bar. And I just, in love and mercy right now, I just want to reach out to any husband in the room that is thinking of leaving your wife and listen to Jesus at this moment. If you come under the reign and rule, like it's not saying that marriage is easy, but you come under the reign and rule of Jesus and you hear his words to men and, and you hear him say, listen, unless your wife has committed adultery, which means she has become, in the words of Genesis, one flesh with somebody else, right? She's broken those vows of marriage. She's become one flesh with someone else. Unless that's the situation you're in, men, you need to stay with your wife. You need to love her, care for her. Don't just write a certificate and think you're doing the right thing because you need to be happy or something like that. No, that's a lie. You need to stay with your wife. And, and, and just notice the tenderness of King Jesus. He's protecting women here. I, this is how I understand this. He's protecting women um, uh, from being victimized, right? He says, you make her a victim of adultery if you, if you, uh, if you walk away from her. And so he's protecting women, but he's also raising the bar for men. And he doesn't do this to kind of chastise men. He's doing this because he loves men, right? And he knows that, man, you were made for commitment. 
You were made for care. You were made for self-sacrifice and for service. You were, you were literally designed to care for one woman for life and to love her with all that you are. No matter how difficult this might seem, Jesus is the king and he's got this dominion. And, 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 and men need to hear that and come under that dominion and kingship. By the way, for those of you who are keeners on the topic of divorce, some of you might be new to Jesus, and that's about as much you can take for today. Some of you keeners on divorce, you'll know that there's some other passages in the Bible that speak about uh, what happens in abandonment, what happens with abuse, what happens with neglect, that there seem to be some permission for especially women to leave situations of abuse, neglect, or abandonment. And uh, just want to let you know there's a, there's a lot more to say, and I don't have time to say it, but this is why we're in community. Um, if you are interested, I preached on divorce a number of years ago and did more, tried to do a, a fuller exposition on divorce, and so I can send that to you if you're interested, but really want to let you know this is why we're in community. We're walking with each other, and specifically, can I ask some of you who are men, if you could, this week, be in community, reach out to a brother and go, listen, I feel tempted to walk away from my marriage, and I, I, need, to, I need to come under the reign of Jesus, and you work that out in community. You get some people around you praying for you and going to the word together. That's why we do life together. We're not meant to do it alone. We got to do this together. All right, let's keep going. Um, uh, listen, listen to Jesus. Uh, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Are you noticing how much Jesus cares about words, about promises, about commitments that come out of our mouth? He really cares. In Jesus' day, people knew let me take you back to Jesus' day. They knew that they, they couldn't swear on God's name. You know, you can't say I swear to God because God's name is holy. It's a holy name. It's, it's, it's his character. So Jews, good Jews knew you're not going to do that. But here's what you could do. You could swear on things like heaven. I swear to heaven that I'll pay you back. Or you could swear on earth, you know. I swear upon the earth that I'm good for the money, <laughs> Right? Or you could swear on the city of Jerusalem. I know this sounds bizarre to us. It's just, it's the world Jesus was living in, right? I swear upon the city of Jerusalem that I'll be there on that day at that time, right? Or they swear upon their own head, which is the weirdest one. I swear upon my own head. Um, but Jesus says it's all a game. It's all a game. You have to swear to make someone believe your words? It's not good. I mean, picture... All of us in the room know this, right? Like, if you've ever been in a situation where someone has had to say, I swear, what do you instantly feel? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm not. Like, literally, you saying you swear makes me trust you way less, right? Because what does that even mean? Like, why don't, why don't, how, let's try this on for size. Why don't you, let, let your yes be yes, and then let your no be no. And just, whew, <laughs> how amazing would it be to live in a, a, amongst a bunch of people that operate that way, right? Are, are, you, are you willing to pay that money back? Yes, and they do. Are you going to be there at that event? No. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> you know, not yes, and then no. I'm really not going to come to that. You know, whatever it is. Whatever games that we're playing. Or, or we start to swear, right? Can people actually trust your words? Maybe you're in a place where you've noticed in your life Maybe it's the people-pleasing or whatever it is, but that um, you, you, people are starting to not be able to trust you. 
And boy, this happens in marriage often, right? Like, I'll promise I'll change. I'll promise to you know, and it's just, it begins to, words start to mean less. Kingdom people, not in the kingdom. In the kingdom, people are trustworthy. They're not perfect, but they're learning to be people who are good with their words, who can be trusted. Okay, Northangley, how are we doing so far? Are we having fun? <laughs> We're only 16 verses in, and Jesus' way is like, Grr. so it's freedom from anger, it's freedom from lust, it's a high view of commitment and marriage, it's becoming people that can be trusted with our own words and commitments. Um, are we having fun yet? Okay, let's keep going. So I don't have time uh, to dive into, we're going to move a bit faster in this next section. I don't have time to dive into all the details of everything that follows, but Jesus then moves into an, a brilliant section of scripture. It's amazing. He talks about how to interact with those who are bullying us. Are you right now in a place where you're being bullied or taken advantage of? Go to the Sermon on the Mount. It's, a, it's incredibly practical. Let me give you two examples. He tells his his followers, that when they are slapped on the cheek, which is a moment of shame, it's not really a moment of violence, just so you know. I think when we interpret this correctly, it's a, it's a shame. It's a public shaming. You know, and you, it's, you're shamed in public. He, he gives you the ability to retain your own dignity and still love your enemy. It's brilliant. So what does he do? He says, he says and what you have to do is you almost have to step into it and turn the other cheek. Well, what's that about? Well, all of a sudden, the person who shames you is caught off guard, right? And they're caught off guard. They have to hit again, and it, and, and it, and it, it makes them second-guess this moment. What are you doing? You are asserting your own dignity, that you're made in the image of God. You are not going to be vindictive and hit back, right? You're not going to do that. But you're also not going to allow this person to publicly shame you. And there's some reasons behind that, and I wish I had more time to get into it, but there's a lot of background stuff there. But the idea here is that you are stepping into it, and you are, you are asserting um, your own uh, control over the situation. And so you're not going to be a doormat, but you're also not going to be vindictive. Here's another example. Uh, in Jesus' day, a Roman soldier uh, would, would be allowed to tell you to carry their bags one mile. Like whatever, imagine you're just operating in your normal day, you're at the market, you're a Jew, a Roman soldier comes up to you and goes, carry my bags a mile. You had to do it, it was law. And so you had to stop what you were doing, you know, can you imagine? Like you have like kids around or you're like in the middle of a business deal and you have to stop and you have to carry this Roman soldier's bags. It's, it's, it's total shame, right? It's an assertion of power. It's the Roman empire showing who's boss. And so what does Jesus say? Go another mile. Take it another mile. Because <laughs> what happens then? The Roman soldier's like, okay, what's going on? Hey, dude, man, you just, you only needed to do a mile. What are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm still going. <laughs> and, what is, and what do you do? You show you're actually in control. The Roman soldier's not in control. You're in control. But wait, what, is he going to stop you? Because you're actually serving him. Okay, what? <laughs> you actually have dignity in that moment. And you actually give the Roman soldier an opportunity to see the dignity that you have as a human being made in the image of God. You're not going to be vindictive, right? But you're also not going to be a doormat. You're not going to allow abuse to continue. You're going to be a servant. It's a third way. It's a middle way. Honestly, I wish I had time right now just to keep going on that. But like, it is so brilliant. If you are being bullied right now in your community, like study Jesus. 
Study Jesus. I'd love to help in any way I can if you need resources on that, but like, he's brilliant. Jesus then teaches us to love our enemies and to pray for them. Then he gives instructions on how, to, how not to brag or boast about our religious acts that we do, prayer, fasting, um, uh, uh, giving to the poor, right? If you're here today and you're dealing with pride, you're like, man, the, one of the big things I'm dealing with, pride. He gives like really practical advice. Are you dealing with pride when it comes to like religious things? Do you feel like it's a bit of a show? Here's what you should do. Next time you pray, you should go into a closet and shut the door. Pray by yourself. Really? Yeah. And then, when you're fasting, don't go around showing everyone you're fasting. Oh, I'm fasting. <sighs> I'm just doing it for him, you know? <laughs> and, everyone, and he's like, no, no, don't do that. Put oil on your face, comb your hair. Just look like a normal human being, please. Don't announce it. And then when you give, don't announce it with trumpets. Give quietly, in the background, right? Don't even let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Like, just, just give quietly. It's gonna, and, and, and boy, that just does a number on the pride of our hearts. It's practical. It's life in the kingdom of God. He cares. And so then he shows us how to keep prayer simple. It's so beautiful. It's the, it's the Lord's prayer. He teaches us to pray to a father super intimate, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He gives you like literally a structure of how to pray. It's beautiful. And then he commands us to forgive others when they sin against us. To forgive others. North Langley, can you imagine what a community looks like when the currency of, of, the, of our community is forgiveness? Like what if we, and we were just living that way. And by the way, I just want to say, I think we are living that way. I see beautiful examples of this among us, and I want to encourage you that the only way communities can continue to function together, because we will hurt each other, we just will. It's no-brainer, right? You get a certain amount of people together in a room, we're going to hurt each other. But what if forgiveness was the currency, right? What if it was love for one another? It's beautiful. And then, and then if we all thought, if you think so far this morning, you're like, I'm actually, Matthew, every category you've named, I'm so good at those already. I'm good right? Now we all have to learn because Jesus hits the money section, right? And then, we're all, and then we're all hooped, right? It's like, oh, great. Okay, so how do I deal with money? And he reminds us that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And, and, and so Jesus begins to teach on investment. And he, he says, why don't you store up treasure in heaven? How do you do that? Rather than storing up treasure in a bank account or a barn or whatever it is, right? On earth, you store it in heaven. Well, what does that look like? Well, it looks like giving to the marginalized, giving to the poor, investing in the kingdom. And he's saying your money will, 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 will be doubled, tripled. Your investments will just will be exponential when you do that. You're investing in a kingdom that will never end. Your money is in really good hands. It's in an eternal, everlasting kingdom. So why don't you invest there? Don't let money be your master. If you're here today and you're, you're literally struggling, you're like, Matthew, literally this morning, I was panicking about how much money I'm making, about investments that I have. I'm starting to notice a seed of greed in my own life. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he's describing life in the kingdom of God. He loves you enough to walk with you through it. In community, obviously. Wrestle with this in your communities. 
And then Jesus tells us that in his kingdom, you don't have to worry. How many of us have come today with anxiety, with worries? We are worried, sick about certain things. And he looks at us, those who are worried, and he tells us to do something uh, incredible. He says, I want you to go outside, and I want you to look at birds and flowers. (laughs) You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Metaphor, right? Keep going. Keep teaching. Teach us more stuff. He's like, no, no, no. Right now, I need you to go outside and look at the birds. Actually look at a bird. Actually look at the flowers. You see the birds? You see the flowers of the field? Look at how they're cared for. And Jesus says, not even Solomon, King Solomon in all of his splendor, was dressed like them. How much more will I take care of you? You have little faith? I'm going to care for you when you're in the kingdom of God. I'm going to take care of you. What's it going to look like? It's probably going to look like the kingdom people caring for each other. That's how I'm going to take care of you. But you're going to be okay. Just go look at the flowers and the birds. Your job is to seek the kingdom, and then all these things will be added. And that's not health and wealth, right? That's not promises of palaces and mansions and whatever. It's care. He'll care for you. Man, there's so much more I could say, but I'm running out of time. But he just speaks about judging others and he, about asking God for good gifts. And, and he warns about the kind of people that say they're good, but there's no fruit coming from their life. And he warns about becoming the kind of Christians who say we're following him, but we're not actually following him. And, and honestly, he just loves you and he wants to show you and I how to live. He describes the beautiful life of the kingdom of God. And I want to ask, do you want a life that looks like that? Like, do you want a life that has been freed up from judgment and hate and lust and lack of trust, freed from worry, freed from greed? I want that. I want that. And, and I need the grace of God to live that way. One of the images that I love is the image of like a piece of wood. And so like if you um, run your hand along the piece of wood uh, with the grain, uh, it's smooth, right? But then when you move your hand the other way, um, you get pierced with all kinds of like slivers. And um, it does not go well for you <laughs> if you move your hand the, the, the other way. And I think what Jesus is saying is like there is just a way, there's a path to life. Like Humanity was created by the good creator who's the king of the world and he has designed you to live a certain way. Listen, if you want to go against that, fine, but your life will get pierced, right? Punctured, there will be pain. But if you go my way, which doesn't always uh, always seem obvious, but if you go my way, the way of the kingdom of God, um, I promise that there's life there. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are immediately going, uh, but what about martyrs that die, right? What about many good Christians who've lived the way of the kingdom, but they die of sickness or whatever it is? And absolutely, life is not going to be easy. Like, not at all. Jesus never promises it's easy. But what he promises is that you are going to be living in sync with the will of God and the heart of God, and that there is some kind of deeper blessing there. There's some kind of sense that at the end of the day, when you put your head on the pillow, that you know that you've been living in sync, right side up in the kingdom of God. In an upside down world, you're living right side up. And even it might cost you your life, but there's a blessing there, knowing that you are deeply loved children, living right side up in an upside down world. Have you ever asked the question, why did Jesus live? We got some idea of why he was born, right? Emmanuel. We celebrate it every Christmas, right? And then we've got some ideas about why he died to make payment for our sin and to wash us clean and to forgive us. 
and to defeat the powers of darkness. And then we have some idea of why he rose again from the dead, right? To crush death itself and to bring about new creation. But why did he live? Why did he live? He lived till about the age of 33. Why? Well, one popular Christian song has this line that I've never loved, which is, quote, he lived to die. He lived to die? I think I know what the author meant, but I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like the line. Um, it's a great song. Don't like that one line. Uh, he just lived to die? This is a weird thought. I'm going to throw it out there. Um, then why didn't he just die as a perfect baby, right? Born, baby, perfect baby dies, right? I know it's kind of a weird thought. Maybe it's just my own brain. But what about the in-between stuff? What about the 33 years of life? What was he doing? I hope that you see that he lived because he's the king. He lived because he was modeling life in the kingdom of God. He lived because he was teaching us the good road to follow, the way. Did you know early Christians were called followers of the way? We should get back to that. We're the way, right? They were followers of a way. The king had given them a way to live. This is why Jesus lived. It's why his life matters. It's why his teachings matter. This is not just a ticket to heaven. It's not just fire insurance. It's not just, you know, this one-way trip to heaven. It is, it is transformation of an actual life. Today, do we live forever and get to enjoy eternal life? Absolutely. Totally. It's a beautiful promise. But Jesus' hope was that you would and I would be changed today. So he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And, and I hope that you see that as you and I get transformed one by one, it's how God's putting the world back together. Kintsugi. All the broken pieces put back together. The word repent there in that phrase, repent and believe the good news. The repent is the word metanoia. It's a change of mind. Change of mind. Would you like a change of mind? Would you like a new way of thinking? Just so you know, all of the books you read, the articles you read, the websites you go to, um, the social media you're on, it's all shaping you, all of it. Whether you're kind of like lefty progressive or on the right conservative or somewhere in between, you're not sure where you're at, you're just, you're getting, you are being shaped. You're being shaped. Other people's ideas are shaping you. I would like to encourage you to try out the Sermon on the Mount. What if this shaped us? What if the Sermon on the Mount shaped our community? And that we, 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 we spent, and we spent all, the amount of effort we listen, podcast, and read articles, and news media, and all that other stuff, that we invested that amount of energy into the Sermon on the Mount. What kind of kingdom people would we start to look like? And it's not just read it, but it's actually come under his dominion and be changed by it, which can only happen filled with the Spirit and in community. Can I say that again? It can only happen filled with the Spirit of God in community, because we cannot do this alone, right? We can't do this alone. Why? Because I want the kingdom without the king. I do. If I'm honest, my sinful soul wants the kingdom without the king. What does that mean? We want all the blessings of God without God. We want the good life without the good one, right? We want all the promises without his presence, and, 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 and it just won't work that way. It just won't work. He's promised to give his children in the kingdom his Holy Spirit to fill them. And the song The Wanderer, you 2 and Johnny Cash collaborated in 1993 on the song The Wanderer. And I love one of the lines. 
They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, that's true of my soul, often. We want, we want everything that's good, but we don't want him. And I wonder if this morning we could begin the process of healing because we're coming to the communion table. And we remember that there's no way we're going to live the life of the kingdom without him. It's all about him. It's about his presence in us. It's about him reminding us that we are loved and forgiven and washed clean. Would you take the cup and the bread right now? We're going to spend a moment. I think there's going to, the ushers are going to, if you just weren't able to get the cup and the bread, just raise your hand. This is for all of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ. We come around the table to remember what Christ has done for us. And I would love to ask if just in a, in a quiet moment here that you would just spend some time asking for some forgiveness for sin, coming again to the foot of the cross, offering your life to Jesus. Jesus, we take a quiet moment here and we recognize that nothing that we've read is possible without your grace. Nothing we've read here this morning in the Sermon on the Mount is possible without your Holy Spirit. So would you come right now, forgive us of our sin, cleanse us, remind us that the cross is the epicenter of love 